Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like, what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priests to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other. And we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show. You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. What deities and religions show up in the things we geek out on and how are they portrayed and characterized? Great question, Will. Why is Will speaking in third person? Well, for the answers to these questions, welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. I'm really excited about this episode. It's a new year, it's a new me. Well, not necessarily a new me, but we definitely have some new themes that we're gonna lift up this year. Uh, it's an election year, so we're still continuing our primarily political uh, theme. And then we're also gonna talk about religions and how religions are portrayed in our fandoms and and uh, how they're characterized. And uh, you know, I it's our third year, Christian, of doing systematic ecology. And and we are um, continuing to grow and expand, and we're just hitting things off on all cylinders. So why not, in the third year, talk about religion and politics in our fandoms and make everybody mad at us? I think that's a great idea, don't you yeah, think? Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this year. We've got so much we need to get done, so many religions to explore, so much research I'm going to have to do, which I love doing that. So I'm all for this. I know. What 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 themes can bring people together like religion and politics in 2024? I tell you. No, I but but seriously, they are important questions and they do show up in our fandoms and they're a big part of reality of life and a big thing that systematic ecology our vision and goal is to role model how to have healthy conversations around uh, our faith and religions and the things we care about and the things we geek out on and and even politics. So we hope with these themes that we can model for you all um, how to have healthy conversations around politics and religion in our fandoms and things we geek out on. Most of our comics are very political because they deal with real world things. And, you know, Captain America started off with him punching out a Nazi and our superhero comics wrestle with religions. A lot of them are religious. And so we're going to talk about that today. So today's episode is, is mainly going to be kind of listing some of the big cosmic entities in the Marvel comic book universe, Earth 616. And then we'll talk about some religious superheroes in Marvel Earth 616 and, and how those religions are portrayed. But before we get into the main event, Christian, uh, how are you doing and what are you geeking out on these days? Uh, well, I'm doing really well. And that's because of one of my recommendations I'm going to be bringing today. Okay. But as far as what I've been geeking out on, uh, I am continuing my Kingdom Hearts playthrough and I'm on Dream Drop Distance right now and I'm almost completed with that. So that's where I'm at. How about you? 
I, I'm doing all right, other than feeling really uh, hungover this morning because I listened to the Kingdom Hearts uh, episode, and you know the drinking game of every time you list Kingdom Hearts, I, I take a drink, and and man, I was feeling <laughs> really bad today after listening to the episode. Yet. No, but I thought you guys did a great job with that episode, lifting up some of the themes and allowing that fandom uh, to kind of lift up themes of what it means to be human and what what some kind of metaphysics of what does it mean to have a soul or heart. Um, really, really good episode. So, so kudos there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well as it is a new year. I'm, I'm, I had a great holidays and a great new year's, but I am kind of glad to be back in kind of a normal routine and, and, and with work and family and those kinds of things. Uh, what I've been geeking out on is I'm caught up with the season two of what if on Disney plus the the what if episodes um i'm really enjoying it this year and i think it's because i'm hearing familiar voices and familiar characters from the earlier phases of marvel that i really really loved and so it's like ah there they are there's my people even if they're portrayed in a different what if scenario uh, i just love what ifs and playing in that uh sandbox and and i i love what they've been doing with this season and then i watched the first episode of echo last night that it dropped uh dropped all five episodes only had time for one and I thought that the first one was pretty good. You know, they're they're characterizing this series as Marvel Spotlight, not necessarily like MCU or a big TV show or something like that. They're calling it Marvel Spotlight. So they're spotlighting a particular character. So, hey, if they want to pull out a character and and spotlight it and, and have some fun with it, I think it's pretty cool. And plus they're tying in kind of the Netflix Marvel universe with Daredevil and, and Kingpin and, and why not? Why not merge those together? So let's have fun with that. I'm looking forward to Echo. I'm going to watch that tonight. I'm a little hesitant about some of the changes they're making to it, but let's see how they actually play in practice, and I'll make my judgments then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so far, so good. All right, let's blaze through our uh, our our topic for today. So here here's our format. So hang with us, folks. We are going to keep this around an hour. We're going to do our best, uh, but we're going to list kind of the uh, a top ten list of cosmic divine beings in the Marvel comic book universe, Earth 616 in particular. And so it's not an extensive list in terms of it names all of them or they're not in any specific order. I'm just kind of listing these off and uh, we're going to talk about and see how they're portrayed and and what godlike powers they have and how that relates to uh, the Marvel comic book universe. And then we'll uh, hop into the top eight, maybe in an honorable mention, maybe nine or 10 uh, religious superheroes in the Marvel uh, 616 universe. So, all right, Christian, are you ready for this? Let's do it. All right. All right. Number one on the list has to be uh, the one above all. So if you're going to go with number one, you got to go the one above all or T-O-A-A or Toa. It is a, um, it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily Yahweh, but it's definitely God. It's definitely one that the Marvel universe have said that this is the creator of all things that started the big bang and did all, all that stuff. So it is the supreme being in the Marvel universe. It's not necessarily attached to any specific Abrahamic, uh, God or religion, but they will say the one above all. And its first appearance was in Doctor Strange, Volume 2, Number 13, in 1976. And it's popped up in other places too, this particular being. Uh, but yeah, with, if you're going to do with number one, you got to go the one above all. Um, Christian, are you familiar with this entity, this cosmic being, this creator? Yes. Um, as is often the case when you have a continuity based on writers from 60 plus years mm-hmm. of whatever they want to add. Not everyone agrees with themselves. The one of a ball, God and how he's handled in the Marvel universe has always been kind of weird. Like 
there's some who really portray him more like Abrahamic and there's others more like in uh, a Hindu kind of way. Uh, and in others way different than that. But depending on who's writing him, it's really done well. Uh, I enjoy personally one where he really should have been listened to. Uh, I can't remember which Spider-Man spinoff it was, but it's <laughs> one where he uh, meets with Peter Parker right before Civil War. Excuse me, right after Civil War. Yeah. And he says, hey, like, I know you're worried about your Aunt May dying, but just stick it through, buddy. We got this. And what does Peter do a couple issues later? Makes a deal with the devil. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did see in some of the research that, that he does pop up in Amazing Spider-Man and, you know, uh, Peter's deal with the devil and then t- listening to the one above all. Yeah. I, I knew that would come up with our, our resident Spidey fan, uh, Christian Ashley. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I think that's good. And and I don't think it's any accident that he that this entity shows up in Doctor Strange. You'll, you'll see a pattern with these cosmic yes. entities, these creators, these overseers of, of the multiverse. Uh, they tend to. They, they, they tend to uh, show up more often in the most mystical and magical and religious book of them all, uh, Doctor Strange. So there's number one, the one above all. Number two that I have on my list, not necessarily because it's number two or, or uh, God psychic or anything like that, but I, I listed the Beyonder. And the Beyonder, is, his first appearance was in Secret Wars, number one in 1984, that big mega event in the early 80s when I was a kid. You know, this this entity, this hero, is it a hero? Is it a villain? Uh, I don't know, but, but it definitely likes to put all the heroes and villains together in this kind of cosmic chess match on a world called Battle World. And uh, he, he is a manifestation of the beyond realm and kind of an alternate reality that seeps into ours and can manipulate reality and has godlike abilities uh, to, to manipulate reality and manipulate people. So, so I had to do the beyonder because we often think when we think of God in, in pop culture and our, in our culture, whatever God is beyond all things and beyond what we can comprehend. So the beyonder is, is there at number two, Christian, what, what are your thoughts on beyonder? I've always loved him. <laughs> His 80s look is classic <laughs> for a reason. Um, now my introduction to him was, once again, I imagine this, through the uh, Spider-Man cartoon in the 90s, yeah. uh, where he was working with Madam Web and they had their Secret Wars there. But actually reading through the Secret Wars comics themselves, he had this guy who's just like kind of like an infant sometimes, but also a little mature than that, but doesn't really get things. So he has heroes and villains fight each other, which is like the perfect excuse plot for a crisis crossover event. Mm-hmm. like. I love him. And there have been retcons along the way that said, no, he was actually an inhuman or he was actually just a cosmic cube or something like that. But I've always preferred him being this mystical entity from outside of time and space that is just curious about us because he was just by himself. Yeah, I think that word there that you um, just lifted up, curious, he, he has a sense of curiosity about things. And if he's from another dimension or beyond the realm, he comes into ours, comes in this Marvel universe, he's curious about what makes these heroes and villains tick. And, and almost like a child-like uh, entity, uh, cosmic entity that's playing with action figures um, in in his toy box and, and playing with that. So that's that's the beyonder. And, and yeah, he's dressed in a white suit, almost like a Miami Vice. Um, show from the 1980s. So that was that was hot. That was a good look uh, in the 1980s. You know, pure white jumpsuit. Um, yeah. So the the Beyonder. Cool. All right. Number three. The one that that I you know I've heard a lot about or or kind of read some or hinted at, but I'm not that quite familiar with. But definitely has connections to the whole Marvel. The Living Tribunal. Christian, what what do you know about the Living Tribunal? 
Yeah, it's so funny. I like I know the character, but I can't remember a single story he's been in. I have some maybe some strange tales would have been the first one when Doctor Strange mm-hmm. exactly. uh, was in that book when the when the book was actually good when they got away from the Human Torch being the main character there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm reading through those right now while I'm doing a Spidey swing buys, just reading everything that's in Marvel during that month. It's not fun, <laughs> right? But as far as <laughs> yeah, as far as he is concerned, it's like this idea of like the the impartial judge of everyone. Um, so you go to him, like he is enacting the will of the one above all. I think it's what happens along the way as retcons come in. So I really appreciate that aspect of it. And it makes sense too, with like, we get to a couple of these other things too, for strange, as you mentioned earlier, he meets a lot of them. Like it makes sense for him to do so. All these cosmic beings messing with magic and reality and, yeah, he's a fun character, but once again, I just can't really peg a story where like he's been really big outside of maybe like Infinity Gauntlet or something like that. And that was still a minor role. Yeah. And you're talking about the Infinity Gauntlet, like Thanos isn't on this list, but but he wanted to acquire all these gems so that he would be God and do all, you know, think of all these beings as a particular aspect of those gems that he's trying to collect so he could be God and, and control all things. Yeah, the Living Tribunal showed up in Strange Tales 157 in 1967. So actually appeared before the one above all. And, and that story was that the Living Tribunal came to Doctor Strange and and gave Strange like a limited time to prove the Earth is worthy of surviving or worthy of living. So it's like, all right, uh, this divine judge come down and says, all right, if Earth is worth keeping around, uh, then you're going to have to prove it to me. And um, so he, he is kind of like the supreme power of the modern universe that oversees the balance of, of the universe and the realities. And if things get out of balance, he shows up and says, all right, I got to judge you uh, kind of um, – if, if it's unbalanced. So, so yeah, interesting character. When you talk about deities in the, in the Marvel universe, this is definitely one that's, that's definitely godlike and has those kind of stereotypical godlike features of, of judging and bringing balance to, to the universe. All right. Number four on this list. And I kind of cheated here is a brother, sister, they're twins. It's eternity and infinity. Again, first appearance, strange tales, 134, uh, predating the living tribunal in 1965 in Dr. Strange. So yeah, you see a pattern here with Dr. Strange characters. So eternity is, uh, uh, the twin, the male, and then you have Infinity, his sister. Uh, they were born at the Big Bang, and they're kind of this embodiment of time and the multiverse. So they're this personification of the multiverse of of time itself. So, yeah, sometimes you see the, like this big cosmic being that looks like a person in, in its robe, in its body, and what it's wearing is the cosmos, like the stars and the galaxies spinning. That's kind of the image that, that they have. And we live Live within it. We live with in eternity and infinity. Um, Christian, any any experience or thoughts on 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 this duo? Yeah, um, I'm more familiar with eternity than infinity. Although, from what I remember from reading the, I think it was, yeah, it was the Quasar books. Yep. She is kind of revealed as one of the reasons for him having the quantum bands uh, because of the quantum energy or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm familiar with it there. Not so much anywhere else, but eternity. I, other than like the Doctor Strange stories where he shows up and I think he stops Dormammu the first time. Uh, he kind of intervenes because it's just that big of a threat. But I also remember him showing up at the trial of Reed Richards uh, uh, when 
for him, like allowing Galactus to live, bringing him back to life when Shi'ar and the other alien races try and get him down for that. And he shows up as a witness for Reed. If I'm remembering the story correctly, it was a John Byrne, right? Yeah. 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 So good. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trial of Reed Richards is really good because it does bring in all these things that Reed has done as a superhero and as a science and stopping Galactus and, and all this stuff. So you bring all these cosmic beings and Galactus comes up a little bit later on our, our list. You can't have cosmic beings with godlike powers without talking about Galactus. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, the eternity shows up every now and then. And then, you know, it, it seems like whenever someone wants to do a big kind of big picture of the Marvel universe, they always put it within eternity or have eternity uh, narrate what what it is. Yeah, you, sometimes you have the Watcher, sometimes you have others, but but you have this being as as kind of overseeing and look, looking over it. So. Uh, pretty cool there. Now we're going to go away from Doctor Strange and and those uh, kind of stories. And, and now we're at number five. We're going to the Celestials. Uh, Jack Kirby. This is a creation of Jack Kirby in the 70s. Uh, a little history of Jack Kirby. He was with Marvel, of course, at the very beginning with Stan Lee. Uh, and then at some point uh, got disenfranchised and, and not really done that right. So we hopped over to DC and created their New Gods franchise and really played around with that. It was a big hit. So when they lured him back over to Marvel, they're like, we want you to do something like the New Gods. And so he said, all right, I'm going to do uh, the Eternals and bring in the Celestials and that whole storyline to kind of do it. It wasn't as big a hit as, say, the New Gods, but as we see from the the newer phases of the MCU, try to pull in the Eternals, try to pull in these Celestials and that kind of thing, that kind of um, these cosmic beings with godlike powers that like to experiment on other beings. So the Celestial are these huge robot looking things that are larger than galaxies that will step in. And when they see the unfolding of the universe and see things evolving, they like to go in there and genetically engineer or experiment with certain beings. So hence you get the Eternals or you get the Deviants uh, and those kinds of things. So playing around, you know, 70s, Darwinism, uh, evolution, science, they're playing around with cosmic evolution, age of the universe, that kind of stuff in a Jack Kirby-like trippy style of the drugs of the 60s and 70s. <laughs> Not that they, I'm not saying Jack Kirby was on drugs. I'm just saying, you know, just talking about the time that it was. It was a very hippie time. Christian, thoughts on the Celestials? Um, whenever they show up, you're kind of like, oh no, but, you know, they'll be defeated at some point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one of those threats, like when you see them on the page, you know, oh, things just got serious. Yeah. And depending on the hero they're up against, uh, I'm wondering that I don't even think they have a chance of getting this done. So they're a good way of amping up the stakes and making sure like, you know, OK, uh, our hero here is going to be doing this. Can they fight against a less celestial like Thor? Yeah, sure. Thor is going to take a celestial more than likely most of the time. You know, the Fantastic Four, they're a way of working together, maybe. But uh, if that Mr. Fantastic tries to punch one, it's going to end poorly. Right. Um, and then for them, actually, I think. My most iconic story for them is actually from an alternate reality. Uh, mm. Earth X Ooh, is nice. where it, it is it is revealed through there, if I'm remembering my stories correctly, uh, that Earth is the host to a celestial kind of egg or seed or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's why superhumans were developed, because they were there to protect it. And that's why they fight off all these alien invasions and they fought off Galactus himself. And it, it's kind of revealed there that Galactus feeds off of them, too on top of feeding on other worlds wow. because he doesn't like the celestials or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I really love that one. I don't know if that's moved into canon into 616, but 
I really appreciated that story. Yeah, Galactus is about the size of a Celestial, so I can see where there would be a good rivalry there. But they show up, and they're kind of unspoken. They don't really speak. You just kind of see them at a distance. Jason Aaron played around with, with his Avengers run with the Celestials and a, a dead Celestial or uh, one that crashed and burned. Uh, Avengers used it as kind of their new headquarters. The body of a Celestial became the Avengers kind of headquarters and uh, instead of Stark Tower. So um so yeah, that that was kind of a cool run, and they kind of used that towards the end of Jason Aaron's run, using the power of a celestial uh, to fight off its enemies. It's it, it was a pretty cool run. Uh, Jason Aaron's run uh, on Avengers was kind of hit and miss on certain things because I think it was derailed by a couple of big events that Marvel was trying to do and and a couple of movies they were trying to promote. But but all in all, the end of that run was just oh, man, just epic. So so good. All right, so yeah, there there's five. We got five more to go. Uh, hang in there with. This, folks you're gonna love this we're gonna to get to our heroes soon uh but now we're moving into yeah man uncanny x-men territory number six the oh, phoenix yeah. force man here's an entity that literally looks like a fiery phoenix that emerged out of the big bang and it's this immortal force of life and passion and so it uh emerged and made its appearance there uh embodiment and incarnated in gene gray in uncanny x-men 101 and so talk about one of the if you Google top superhero stories of all times in the Marvel Universe, you're going to get the Dark Phoenix Saga by Chris Claremont. Uh, that's always there in the top five, at least. And so um, I got into comics as a kid kind of right after that, kind of the aftermath of the Dark Phoenix Saga. Uh, I knew they were grieving the loss of Jean Grey and the Phoenix, and I was like, what is going on? And then eventually the trade started coming out, and I read it all in one sitting, like the Dark Phoenix uh, phoenix saga with john byrne and, and chris claremont but yeah the phoenix force is still around it it cuts people down it reorders things it resurrects things uh there's even dark phoenix if he gets too passionate and too angry about things it's kind of this unwielding fiery force like a phoenix that rises from the ashes christian um what, what what's your relationship with the phoenix force what what uh uh could you embody it one day could you handle it that's a good question don't know <laughs> let's hope yes if it were ever to fall upon me. But my introduction was through the X-Men animated series mm. in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, seeing them adapt that story of, you know, Jean Grey receiving uh, the Phoenix and then being judged by the Shi'ar for it and the sacrifice she makes there. And then eventually going back to the comics, reading them from my dad's collection and seeing this absolute amazing force that I'm trying to remember the story between it was a Claremont and Shooter we're working together at that point in time with the, the Phoenix and, Saga. Yeah. It, I, I can't remember who was working with whom because yep. th there's conflicting stories of whether or not there was a miscommunication of like showing uh Jean Grey possessed by the Phoenix, destroying an entire inhabited galaxy, mm. or it was just supposed to be some uninhabited galaxy. But well, it depends on who you listen to, but it yeah. shows just how powerful she is that in this form, she can take out all of this life in an instant and it's nothing to her. Yeah. Yeah. The dark Phoenix. So she used the Phoenix, uh, force, um, and then it, 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 it goes dark. And so almost like this dual personality yes. where, where she, uh, as dark Phoenix, uh, does go to a galaxy and destroys an inhabited galaxy. And then they have this trial of Jean gray. They bring her back and she's like, wait, I don't remember that. That wasn't me. That was a dark Phoenix. It was something else. And they were like, well, still you're the person that embodied this. We got to put you on trial. And I just remember, um, 
the X-Men going against, you know, in this trial, which is so good in the battle and they lost and Jean Grey uh, dies at the end or executed. And, and, you know, but, but Jean Grey is the most, maybe has the record of the most to die and uh, live again and resurrected in, in, in comics. If Jean Grey's right. dead, you better believe she's going to come back at some point. But if we're thinking about like how religions are portrayed, like we think about these gods, they, you know, we think about the, um, the way we understand um, God from a Christian point of view, um, we're kind of moved beyond like this sky God who looks like Zeus or Santa and grants wishes to folks or, or outside of, you know, um, you know, looking down. Yeah. There's an element of, of judgment and, and holiness when it comes to God. But, but all these kind of caricatures of these cosmic beings are, are these different kind of slivers of personality that people often think of when they think of God. Now the Phoenix force, you know, obviously this fiery bird coming from face, you th- space, you think of the Holy spirit or, you think of Pentecost. You think of that moment of the tongues of fire and uh, the the dove at Jesus' baptism representing the Holy Spirit. So this cosmic phoenix force representing the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's different way, roads we can go down. We talk about the Trinity and three and one, one and three, that kind of stuff. But if you think of the phoenix force, man, you're thinking of the fire of the Holy Spirit and and what can that do to to raise things from the dead or or cut it down and and burn it uh, because. Um, of of whatever, so yeah, Phoenix Force, man, I love it just because that's part of my. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead, Christian. Yeah, real quick, uh, if you guys want to read a fun book, does it make a lot of sense? No, but it's fun. When Marvel and DC used to be able to play nice, read the new Teen Titans X Men crossover. Oh Dark yeah, Phoenix Dark Side working together. Yeah, excellent story. Oh man, I found that. I was digging through my comics, Christian, and I found that graphic novel or found that comic in my stack. Mm-hmm. Walt Simonson, man. Uh, yeah, oh, so good. Love it, love it, love it. Good crossover. Fantastic book. We'll have to talk about that one day. That's a good one. Consider subscribing on YouTube where you can get some uh, some other stuff. You get exclusive series like our comic book catch-up, Manga Mustard, Drinks with Tejas, and a companion series we do each year to go with our annual theme. You also get access to... Friday Night Frights and Wednesday Night Weeaboo and Spidey Swingbys with Christian Ashley. Um, you could access to other exclusive shorts like uh, what I'm going to be doing soon are non-canon where I'm going to be reviewing different IPs that are outside of canon from our favorite fandoms or the Bible and discussing whether or not it should be canon. You also can get a short of Will's Wednesday pull list. So if you're into comic books, Will goes through his favorites of each week's pull list for himself. You also get other bonuses over there. Um, most of our surprise content will put straight to youtube going live over there that you can check out and a lot of our regular episodes are also posted on youtube if you just want to see our smiling faces um yes. all right now number seven not because any specific order or it's number seven on the list or, or at least the seventh powerful in the universe but we're going to talk about odin and the asgardians you can't you can't talk about gods in the marvel one six sixteen uh without talking about the asgardians thor and odin loki the whole host of norse gods uh you have greek gods there too zeus hercules shows up but here you have odin odin was there and you know in the the marvel cinematic universe is kind of um, they play with the idea of these cosmic beings. They, they're just maybe just really old aliens who have godlike powers or not. Are they gods uh, or are they just really smart aliens who've been around a long time? But in the Marvel Universe, they are pulled right out of Norse mythology and Odin is the Allfather. So, so yeah, and they, they showed up, I guess Thor showed up before Odin in Journey to Mystery 
86 or no 83 uh but then uh odin shows up a little bit later in journey to mystery a few issues later but um yeah odin thor norse norse gods here they are marvel universe christian they're i don't know what else to say they're they're just you know they are what they are norse gods in the marvel universe <laughs> yes uh, before that, let me do a correction. Shooter was the editor-in-chief. Right. And it was his decision, because she destroyed it, that she would have to die. Byrne was the one who did it with Claremont. But as far as the Norse gods are concerned, that's one side of Marvel I really enjoy, but it's not, like, my favorite. Like, it's like, I love Thor when he's on a team. Yeah. And when he's guest-starring with other people. But I've never really, not like I hate Thor, the comics, or Journey in the Mystery, or anything like that. But it's never been one of them, like, that's the one I want to be on. That's the one I want to read about. Right. But what what Lee and Kirby were doing is astounding. Yeah. Like using obviously like cop, un, uncopyrighted material of, you know, free use mythology, making it their own and then putting it in this weird wacky Marvel universe to where we can have, you know, Balder the Brave being in the same scene as Volstagg and Carnilla and um the Enchantress and all these other amazing characters created over time. Like I enjoy what they had to do, and I'm I'm glad that Kirby didn't get his way, and we didn't have the Ragnarok he wanted to have along the way. <laughs> right, uh, that would lead to the new gods in DC. Um, but their run is I do really love that run immensely. Yeah, and then Walt Simonson had a had the. Um, uh, just kind of climactic run on on Thor and it's, uh, with the movies at MCU and and our friends Ryan Doe's. You know, there've been a uh, lot of lot of fandom around Thor over over the last decade or or so, and done really good thing. Jason Aaron uh, did a great run and talk about what gods are worthy or not, and worthy to pick up the hammer yes. and dealing with the problem of pain. If you're going to talk about gods in the Marvel universe and talk about who's worthy or not, and what gods are worthy and the characteristics, Thor plays around with that and and kind the origin of when Thor came around like Marvel's looking for is Superman so you had this guy Donald Blake who walked walked with a stick you know and and banged his stick on the ground he became the mighty thor almost like shazam you know captain marvel uh so he was thor became the superman of of the marvel universe but still drew on those north um, mythological stories and and went from there so so i do think odin that that realm the norse gods thor does play around with asking the question uh worthy and unworthy when it comes to to the divine and i think that's a great question to ask when we're thinking about our own theology worthy and unworthy theology and how we characterize uh god in in our churches and in our communities of faith so yeah definitely relevant there all right number eight or you have something else christian you want to say yeah well with thor 2 just real quick i always like the idea of hey at one point in time i was worshipped on the earth and there are still people alive in Marvel continuity who do the same. Like, how does he handle that knowing himself he is not worthy of being called, you know, a god compared to someone like the one above all, what have you. Mm-hmm. So how does he wrestle with that? And then we, then we get into Marvel 2099 where we have the Thorite cult there uh, <laughs> introduced. That's a ton of fun. But yeah, I, I like to see him as a character wrestling with this. I know my flaws and are immense and I have worked on them and that's how I got to where I'm at right now. So why would I ever be worthy of worship? 
Yeah. Yeah. And then he also plays, plays, they play around sometimes with time, you know, in terms of like, he's been around a long time and generations pass and he's seen things before and he'll outlive or outlast them. So at this time on earth, when he has attachments on earth with humans and mortals, uh, what does that look like and, and his relationships and love and care? So, uh, yeah, but uh, a, lot, a lot there to play with. And then him being on, of course, on the Avengers and a big, big part of that, the big three, you know, you have Captain America, uh, Iron Man and Thor are, are known as the big three uh, when it comes to the Marvel Universe. Cool stuff. All right. Number eight, just a few more to go. Khonshu. Oh, man. The moon god. Uh, the uh, Showing up in Moon Knight number one, 1980. Here we lean into, you know, the others, you know, could have some quasi-Abrahamic faith uh, attributes there to the gods, maybe or maybe not. But now we're moving into like a, another mythology, Egypt, Egyptian mythology, this god of the moon and how it's portrayed in Moon Knight is, is he a helper? Is this God a helper or antagonist? Is it um, a benevolent God or or a trickster God or a God that's, that's ready to tear things down? So um, he chooses humans as an avatar and Mark Spector, who uh, we'll talk a little later on, um, you know, he, he, he was he's Jewish, uh, became the avatar of this moon God, Khonshu, Egyptian God. I don't know a whole lot about them or have a lot of history. I'm not a huge Moon Knight fan. And I do like it and love it when he shows up in comics. But Christian, I don't know. Khonshu, I know that. Disney Plus show uh, portrayed him in a certain way. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, uh, Khonshu in Egyptian mythology is like a very minor god, mm-hmm. from what I recall. Which is so fun to see him like be uplifted to this, and I do love the whole shtick of him being the protector of travelers at night, and that being yeah. one of the focuses behind what Moon Knight does. It, it's a really fun way of setting up your hero, working with someone like him. Why would Mark Spector ever willingly work with someone like Contru? Because of the good he can do by doing that. And I've really enjoyed Jed McKay's uh, run right now on Moon Knight. Right now, it's yeah. been spectacular. Uh, and then you get the whole, like, is Khonshu real? Is he not? Uh, obviously, as someone who really hates ambiguity, I'm glad <laughs> when I firmly say Khonshu is real and he's screwing with Mark sometimes or he's trying to get someone else to become the Moon Knight. Or I, I wasn't the biggest fan of when Aaron did have that mini arc in Avengers yeah. of, you know, all that madness with him. Uh, and the Thor's hammer is made out of moon rock now. You know, that's always been a thing. It's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how do you keep these stories going and think of something new and fresh? Sometimes it lands, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but yeah, yes. I mean, I think w- within this particular story with with Mark Spector and Moon Knight, you know, you, you do have people who are like, oh, um, it's just is something in your head or dreaming up that uh, or or is it real? You know, and I and I think in terms of our world and skepticism around religion and, and less and less people uh, being religious or, or more secular, I think, you know, sometimes they can look at us and people of faith and be like, oh, yeah, it's just a fairy tale in your head. Um, you're just making things up or our stories just guiding you. So there, there's that aspect of, yeah, man, you're just you're just off your rocker. Um, but but all right, you do you, man, if that's really what what keeps you going. But but I think it has consequences, whether it's this guy's real or not, because it, it's it's leading him to do things um, uh, in the world and and guiding him or what he thinks his mission and calling is. So, so yeah, I think it doesn't matter whether it's real or not um, when you boil it down. So, uh, yeah, cool. All right, number nine, Galactus. There he is. Fantastic Four. 
uh, issue number yes. 48, 1966. The space explorer that was out there in the universe that was given cosmic abilities. Uh, he's the devourer of the worlds. He's hungry. So what does he do? He goes and he uh, he finds worlds to devour and, and eat up his energy and move on to the next one. He's just... He's just cosmically hungry, you know, kind of thing. And uh, later it's revealed that that um, perhaps he was a being before the Big Bang in another alternate universe that then became something else. So they play around with his story as well. But what I like about this particular god and deity and the or or um, cosmic entity is that it has a herald and it has someone go ahead of it to go yes. look for worlds to devour. And then you have, that's where you have the silver surfer who goes ahead of Galactus to look for worlds for him to eat. And what does silver surfer do? Because he has a, a, a good heart, uh, looks for planets that don't have any, sentient beings on it so but he stumbles upon earth and and he comes to earth and he's trying to like actually warn earth that he, there's something coming so yeah we think about our own story you know we just came off of advent john the baptist prepare the way of the lord here comes god god yeah. is coming near uh what is this god like uh is it god of vengeance and destruction or uh or or one that says god has come near and one of grace and love so you can talk about heralds of god and those who go before it um we can talk about kind of the nature of power and sacrifice and humility and love when it comes to Jesus as opposed to other of these cosmic beings. But that's a whole other episode that we'll get into the rest of the year. So, so yeah, Galactus um, hasn't shown up that really in the, the MCU yet, but definitely it's, it's been hinted at uh, out there. Um, yeah, cosmic being as big as a universe going in and eating worlds for breakfast like a bowl of Captain Crunch. Christian, what do you think of Galactus? <laughs> I love Galactus so much. Mm -hmm. I love the fact his name in Latin actually means like milk or cheese or something like that instead of what they intended, uh, you know, with galaxy and all that. Uh, the His coming onto the earth with the Silver Surfer and what, Fences 448 through 50. Yeah. One of the best comic runs of all time and one of the best story arcs in one of the best comic runs of all time for uh, Stan and um, Jack. And he starts off a little kookier appearance wise, you know, he right. gets the design is improved upon over time. But, you know, we learn over time, like he's not just this unthinking being who doesn't care about the people he's eating. Like when we get into Silver Surfer's backstory, like he mm. gave him the opportunity to become the herald to spare his world. And if that doesn't say that there is some quality of mercy inside of Galactus, I don't know what else does. Mm -hmm. And then you go through his other heralds like Nova and Terax and the Airwalker, and the Fire Lord and so on and so forth. And to see their different stories, uh, how he appears in a trial of Reed Richards once again to like speak on Reed Richards defense. Because like they've become buddies throughout this whole time and he's tried yeah. to eat the earth how many times? <laughs> it's such a fun right. interaction. Nice. I, I love their kind of like they're friends. Even if they'll never say the word out loud, they are friends. Uh, Christian, your comic book knowledge is one to be admired. I I, I love that you you love these deep cuts and and know about these characters um, and love them as much as I do. So yeah, I'm glad we're teaming up for this episode. Yeah, Galactus is is fun, and uh, you know I, how you how you portray him on the big screen or little screen. You, know, you can put him in cartoons. He's you can put him in in comic books. Uh, how can you do him in a way that's not too campy? Um, out in in on the movie screen i don't know but uh but yeah you, you can't talk about cosmic beings with uh godlike powers without talking about galactus um all right uh number 10 
Uh, last but not the least, I, I put down the watcher only because Christian and I have yeah. similar haircuts with the watcher. And so that shiny bald head is, is handsome. And so Christian, and I could be, could be watchers. No, that sounds really weird and pervy, but, uh, no, you have the, 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 the watcher. And again, another one that shows up in fantastic four, um, fantastic four, I think number 13 in, in 1963. So it predates, uh, Galactus. And, and what's cool about the watcher, it comes from this, these cosmic extraterrestrials that are that watch over the multiverse and what they're only supposed to do is just watch they're not supposed to get involved they're like the divine watchmaker that you know wind it up let it go and just don't get involved just let it do its thing just watch and and take take note but um uatu uh which um i'm saying that right right uatu I'm saying that right. Yes. Yeah, is is the one assigned to Earth. And, um, you know, like any being that comes to Earth, we just kind of stand out. It's, it's hard not to get involved. It's hard not to care about us. It's hard not to love these sentient beings called humans, as flawed as we are. It's hard not to get involved and in, in trying to help out. So, you know, uh, Watu actually... Uh, gets involved with Fantastic Four and and somewhat uh, if Ron me if I'm uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong Christian but actually warns them that Galactus is coming or 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 lets them know something's happening or or something like that to say like hey I, I need to I need to tip my hat just a little bit at what's going on in the universe right now first another live correction I think I said Latin I think I meant to say Greek yeah uh, for Galactus's name. Uh, but as far as this, like he did try to warn them, but he also kind of put like those illusions in place to prevent the surfer from coming onto the planet, even though he did it anyways, to like say, oh, no, it's made of fire and all this rock. And there's no way this should be a habitable world Galactus should eat. And I love this idea. He has this non-interference plan, but he never once, unless the story really calls for it, listens to it. Yeah. Because he loves us after watching us for so long. Like he loves humanity. And it's just weird relationship with like someone who's just supposed to chronicle us and it's one of the things that um like researchers are told like if you're meeting these uncontacted tribes or if you're meeting with them they have very limited access to the world you're supposed to keep yourself to a minimum you shouldn't intervene the same yeah. thing not even with uncontacted tribes but wildlife like a wildlife photographer is not supposed to intervene when a cheetah takes down an antelope you're just supposed to film it but he can't help himself he has to intervene <laughs> yeah he loves us that much um, and seeing his journey as well is really fun and how the other watchers just really don't like him. Right. Uh, I think including his dad. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. He give, he's given him all a bad name. Like you're not, we're not the watchers anymore in the universe because of what you keep doing. And side note, no one else cares about this, but me, but there's a web of Spider-Man story. I think it's 34 <laughs> where Spider-Man is playing with these little kids against like these taller kids. And he's supposed to play with like one arm behind his back playing just football for like some petty little contrivance there. And the watcher has been taken advantage of by an alien. And he's been watching Spider-Man this whole time. And he says, I'll make a bet with you. If Spider-Man's team wins, I go and you leave or I defeat you or whatever. And Spider-Man wins uh, playing with these kids. And the watcher is able to use that distraction to take on this alien who shows up one time and never appears again. Uh, and it's a goofy story. No one else cares about it. Like it's constantly rated like one of the lowest of the lows as far as ratings for Web of Spider-Man. But I love that story so much for just being like a goofy Marvel fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 
again, to like how religion is portrayed, how God is portrayed. The Watcher, you know, uh, is there at, at number 10, but but often that's what people think of and think of God. It's just like this divine being who's just kind of watching us and, and judging us. Uh, but but there's a relationship. Even in science, you know, uh, quantum physicists will, will tell us that as they are watching a particular molecule or a quirk or or, or in the quantum realm, that they're, the, the, the particles act differently when, when you're actually watching them, that there's a relationship. There's, there's some kind of level of, uh, I'm not calling them sentient, but there's, there, there is a reaction relational aspect of, of every particle in the universe to who we are and, and whether we're being watched or interact with it. So we have all have an effect on one another. So you can't be a unbiased, uh, watcher from afar. You're, you're going to be affected by it. Uh, you're going to be moved by it. So I think, I think that, that has something to say about how we understand one another and then, and the, perhaps how we understand God, God as well. Folks, I know we did not list every single cosmic being in the Marvel Universe, but those are just kind of tip of the iceberg there. Um, let us know uh, if we miss anything or if there's an aspect about these characters that uh, you feel like is no way any kind of representation of how we understand God <laughs> in the Christian faith or or if there's some themes there that you, we didn't highlight. Uh, let us know. All right, we're going to transition now uh, to um, religious superheroes because I think they help us understand or at least help us see uh, how religion is portrayed in the Marvel Universe itself. So we have these cosmic beings, but now we have the heroes that are on the ground being heroes. And, um, you know, how does their faith impact how they do about their superheroing? And and how is that portrayed rightly or wrongly uh, in the comics? So um, top eight. Here we go. Uh, can't talk about religious superheroes without talking about Daredevil. There you go. Yep, he's dressed like a devil, and, but he is Roman Catholic through and through. Carries his Catholic guilt with him. He, he's devout. He goes to confession. He's um, protecting Hell's Kitchen, uh, but he is Roman Catholic. And in the current run of comics right now, he is currently an ordained priest who is a priest of an orphanage in, in Hell's Kitchen. And, it's a, and it, I, I don't read a lot of Daredevil comics, but I'm definitely on this because I want to see how they portray a particular priest. As someone who wears a clerical collar on Sunday mornings with worship, here's Daredevil walking around New York with a pastor shirt on, a clerical collar. So um, Christian, Daredevil, uh, Catholic, I know you're Baptist, but, but uh, you know, you've read a lot of comics. Daredevil, thoughts? <laughs> um, this is an example of a retcon done well. Okay. Like when Lee first made Daredevil, there's none of this roman catholicism in there uh, that i remember from reading the early daredevil comics right but what does he do uh, is it frank miller yeah i think frank miller is really the one that introduces the concept and it gives daredevil a whole new sense of personality because you read early daredevil there's not it's not like there's not a lot to him there's just not as much as there could be and he helped flesh him out give him like this catholic guilt that has come to like epitomize his character all the way to now to where i am enjoying that current run too uh was it saladin ahmed that's doing that one yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and it gives daredevil more of a character in that hey i'm actively fighting against evil but i have this belief of how things should be handled i have this belief in god about how he's in control am i being part of that or am i making things worse what's going on there i love that aspect of him. it makes him like a top tier character beyond where he could have been if that was never introduced. Yeah, you you 
within these superheroes, you have to ask, like, why are they doing what they're doing? What do they believe in that that draws them to do what they're doing? Is there a greater good? Is there a sense of compassion and love? Is there a higher calling? Uh, great power comes great responsibility. Is there guilt because they don't want anybody else to experience what they've experienced? Or do they feel like there's a divine calling that's leading them down a certain road? And, and that's what Daredevil, Matt Murdock, um, wrestles with. Uh, he's wrestling with, you know, what is he doing? His idea of justice as a lawyer, uh, working as a lawyer, um, kind of justice on the ground, uh, but also God's justice in, in, um, in the universe, uh, the moral arc to the universe. And so Daredevil epitomizes that. So yeah, good. Yep. We could, and, and, Everybody, listeners, friends, family, uh, we could spend an episode on every particular character, <laughs> but we're going to try to go through it. We're going to try to do it. We yeah. have just a few minutes. We're going to go through this. All right. Number two, Nightcrawler. X-Men fan, you can't talk about religious superheroes without talking about Nightcrawler. Here you have someone who literally looks like a demon. And here he is of Catholic faith, deep faith, guides him what he does, compassion, how he's been treated uh, and throughout his life. Uh, he should no means by any way believe that there's good in the world that that looks after him and yet he does he holds on to his faith now he wrestles with that doesn't mean he doesn't have doubt doesn't mean he have um times where he deconstructs and reconstructs but uh nightcrawler deep deep faith christian faith catholic faith and and yet he looks like a demon um christian nightcrawler yeah um same thing for him like i was introduced to him through the x-men animated series and like that one episode focused on him really draws a lot from his Catholic beliefs, but then you actually read the comic books themselves, you see the same exact thing. It's a very brilliant strategy of like the outer appearance versus the heart. Yeah. And he is a good Catholic boy, except until recently when he decided to make his own mutant religion, but that's its own thing. Not the biggest fan of that. Not either. Uh, I think it kind of, yeah, it kind of betrays his like principles, but that's its own thing. I didn't enjoy Uncanny Spider-Man though, when he pretended to be Spider-Man for a bit. Uh, that was fun. Oh, but, so good. That's a great little run. I know they're going to make that into a trade. Yeah. Folks, go out there and read Uncanny oh, yes. um, Spider-Man. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Besides making him more of a himbo than he should be, that's like the only thing I have against it. Um, but when it comes to Kurt, that sense of he's introduced like in a very stereotypical like Frankenstein's monster kind of situation, torches and pitchforks from people who have seen his actual appearance want to kill him. Professor X saves him, gives him this whole new purpose. But it's not just because he's saved there, but he's it's because of his faith that he goes out and he does these things. He goes to protect people. He wants not only for, you know, people to be protected, but for humans and mutants to get along. And he sees himself as something that easily someone could say, oh, I'm an aberration. God would never have made something like me. But no. He says, I'm a beautiful creation of God in this own unique way. I may not be a human. I'm a mutant, but I can still do his good work in the world. And I love when writers get that and handled well. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite, uh, you know, it's no secret that I, I love the X-Men um, and Nightcrawler is one of my favorite ones. Uh, a, a good graphic novel that I think still holds up that that wrestles with kind of mutant and uh, prejudice and racism and uh, religious extremism gone wrong is God Loves um, Man Kills uh, is a graphic novel yes. I put out in the 80s. And I mean, that shook me as a kid. I don't know if I was quite ready to read that and some of the images in that book as a as a elementary age kid but but yeah really hit home this understanding and and often the x-men you know they they deal with prejudice uh they deal with those who hate them because they're deep different and oftentimes you have these hate groups rise up and and often portrayed in these hate groups are people who are absolutely um actually wearing crosses and so uh so that as someone who looks at a cross 
um, looks at the cross as a symbol of hope and love and sacrifice is hard to see uh, people wear that symbol and then hate other things. And comic plays around with that. Sometimes the stereotype of religious extremism and extremism and, and fundamentalism. But but I think you really see that in kind of Nightcrawler story, the X-Men story. And, and it's a reality as much as I don't like that and that stereotype and how it's portrayed in comics. Um, I, I uh, it is reality. There are some of those who who bear the cross and um, as a symbol, but also a symbol of hate. So we got to wrestle with that too. That's a reality that um, we can talk and should talk more about. All right, number three. All right, oh, man, Joshua's going to love us for this one. Uh, another religious superhero, Captain America. Uh, he's not Catholic, but he's a good old American Protestantism, and he doesn't necessarily. We don't see him go to church a lot or talk about, but he's definitely a person of faith and believes in the American way, American Protestantism, and so yeah, he's religious. He talks about it. even, you know, there's that one line in the MCU where he's like, "Ma'am," and she's like, "Oh God," and he's like, "Well, ma'am, I, I don't think." that's what God looks like or something like that. It's like, I know God and that's not him. Uh, so, so yeah, the Captain America, our religious, um, uh, boy scout. Yeah. I'm trying struggling to think of like stories where that became like a focus of Steve. I, I can't remember cause it's been a while since I've read some of the Captain America's, uh, in a while, but, uh, the older ones I'm talking about, but it's still like ingrained when you look at his origin story of being this, uh, son who has lost a father has a mother and loses her too along the way and just that scrappy americanism of pulling yourself up as best as possible not by your bootstraps that's a terrible yeah uh illusion there but like finding where you place yourself in the world i'm this scrawny nothing kid and part of what builds me up is my faith in this higher power that i believe is protecting the world looking after us and i can do good in the world based off of that and as it's kind of happened in comics along the way, this has kind of gotten lost to an extent. It's not like he's come and said, I'm like an out and out atheist or anything like that. But most writers that I've seen right cap recently haven't really brought this up too much. Right. Uh, I can't even remember if JMS has done it in the current run. I'd have to look that up again, Th but those have been good. Yep. Um, but yeah. 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 I, I think that's well said. Um, and, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we could later on down the road, see if there's, you know, here's this convergence. Uh, if we're talking about politics and talking about religion, they're all coming together with this guy who wears a big American flag on his, on his chest and that, that shield. It'd be nice to see how religion and politics come together on the focal point of the person of Captain America. We'll talk more about that later. Number four, uh, Magneto. Yeah, here we go. Uh, we're moving yeah. out of Christianity. We're moving into Judaism. Uh, Magneto, is uh, famously um, a survivor of the Holocaust, and he saw what happened there, how his race and religion was was treated, and that affects how, how he sees the world as a mutant uh, and as somebody who is Jewish. So, yeah, Magneto, um, you know, he's seen as a villain, but he's often timed, you know, uh, he's the, the Malcolm X to Charles Xavier's Martin Luther King. They're both working for justice in the world, and they just have different ways of looking at how that to go about when it comes to mutants. This is another example of a retcon done extremely well. Uh -huh. Early Magneto does not have this backstory, does not all have the, the weight and the guilt of surviving this uh, in the midst of World War II, where he is a hated outcast, not because he's a mutant, but because he's Jewish. Yeah. Yep. And that thou never again, never again. They did that really well in the first class. Uh, the, the opening scene of X-Men in 2000 uh -huh. was extremely well done. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, his struggle and turmoil there. But as far as the comics too, like 
him being emboldened, I can never let this happen again. I've got to bring my people elsewhere, find a new land for them. I mean, there's obvious Jewish parallels there too with what has happened in our own world. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get my people safe from harm? Well, Magneto typically doesn't do the best for them, but th- sometimes he's a hero. Sometimes he's uh, an anti-hero. Sometimes he's a villain. And it all comes from this terrible backstory of being in the midst of the Holocaust, living in a concentration camp and barely surviving. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, yeah. In terms of how Judaism is portrayed in comics, uh, you know, it, a, a lot of the comic book creators over the years for, for 80 to 100 years have been uh, Jewish males. And so part of their plight, part of their struggle, part of their understanding of, of how to live in the world and in America comes through and how they write their characters. And so, um, so yeah. So, uh, you know, Jack Kirby, uh, Jewish. Um, so uh, the creators of Superman, uh, Jewish, you know, th- those kinds of things. So um, I, I think I think we need to acknowledge that. But then also, you know, other famous Jewish um, superheroes. You got Kitty Pride; she's Jewish. She wears that Star of David on on her necklace. You have Ben Grimm, the Thing; he's Jewish. And then we talked about earlier Mark Spector being Jewish as well. And there's plenty of them in in the comics. But but yeah, I think that's a big part of of their place in comics. All right, number five, Kamala Khan. Uh, she debuted in 2013 14 uh written by someone who is muslim uh and as as a muslim character who's wrestling with how she lives as an american but also as a muslim american in the world with browner skin uh in the midst of all things so uh they they've really lifted her up you can't talk about um islam and comics without talking about kamala khan a a fine addition to the marvel universe like uh, and done so in an amazing way in the midst of all that turmoil with the between the X-Men and the Inhumans. We finally get a good Inhuman character <laughs> that has later also been to become a mutant, but yeah. that's beside the point. I'm, I love yeah. it. I love it, Christian. I love it. I'm glad uh, she's an X-Men. Oh, I love yeah. her, I, and I love it that she's an X-Men. Yay! <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, this is the dumb, dumbest thing I've ever heard. When it actually happened, it was done really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. But then when it comes to her religion, like early on, I think this is in the first run that she, her friends are like kind of making fun of her because she keeps smelling bacon. And like, there's that temptation there of getting it and like, Hey, either do it or don't like <laughs> quit, quit getting in this like temptation state. And like, what? that's a perfect thing not, not to do say, Hey, either do it or don't, but like, Hey, deal with this issue that in your religion, it says you can't have this. This is not halal. You cannot engage in this. So resist the temptation. Don't go near it. I mean, what a perfect thing for us to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how does how does my faith impact how I live in the world? Um, and and, I, and you can't get, uh, I think, a, a better character than Kamala Khan wrestling with that um, in terms of how to be a superhero and how to live in the world and how our faith um uh, matches up with that her and her family and culture. So good. Yeah. And another um, uh, Muslim superhero dust from the X-Men doesn't get as much play, but, but yes. definitely someone who wears, um, how do you say it? Hijab. Uh, she wears like full body job. Yeah. Full body covering and only see her eyes. And, and, and she has the power of like sand, almost like Sandman and, and dust and pretty cool character. You know, talk about X-Men characters that deal with um, being different and, um, um, being discriminated against. Yeah. Her story along with that is pretty, pretty good too. 
All right. All right. You know, all right. We talked about Christianity, talk about Judaism, talk about Islam. Well, let's talk about the underworld. Let's talk about Satan. Yeah. We have Ghost Rider, number six. You have Ghost Rider. You have this, you know, yep. you, you, if you have the one above all, you have the, the one below all. And, and you have, uh, you have Satan, Mephisto, all that. But you have Ghost Rider who has this deal with the devil, a demon out in the world. I don't know much about Ghost Rider. It's not one of my favorite characters. It's kind of fun when he shows up there in, in the world he was in jason aaron's run as as uh as one of the avengers but but yeah if you're gonna talk about god um all right i guess you gotta talk about satan too if you're gonna be dualistic about it and uh you, here you have ghost rider yeah johnny blaze is one of those characters like i've never been the biggest ghost rider fan as far as like reading his stuff like i've always enjoyed when he appears though but you get that his origin story if he just wants his dad i think it's cancer he has lung cancer or something like that mm -hmm. so he makes the deal with the devil there's no other way human doctors can't do it like he doesn't know any of the big wigs of the marvel universe like if the original captain marvel can die of cancer no one else can be free from that right um so he makes the deal with mephisto his dad is cured of cancer johnny's soul is his and he later dies anyway <laughs> so now he's made a foolish deal yeah and now he's got to become the ghost fighter so what can he do he rebels and he says he's going to do things his way uh, with uh, with Satanish as well, or Zarathos. Zarathos is the one mm. he's contracted with, right? I think that's the name. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm yeah. not sure, but yeah, yeah. I, I trust you. I trust you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, you always send corrections our way. We do appreciate them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I don't live correct myself. Um, but that, since, uh, from what I remember, I think he was raised Baptist mm. at some point in time in his life. But if there's such a thing, if there can be a lapsed Catholic, there can be a lapsed bath Baptist. I think he kind of went the same way there. Right. Uh, and so religion has kind of come up in a series. Once again, I'm not the biggest connoisseur of his stuff or Danny Ketch or any other ghost writers uh, as well. But it's that sense of I made the one deal everyone said you should. And oh no, surprisingly, it didn't work out in my favor. There you go. Surprisingly, uh, the father of all lies lied to you. Okay, there you go. Um, but I, I, I do think, um, yeah, this this whole like mythology or narrative around making a deal with the devil and, and being portrayed is, is one. But also, you know, speaking of redemption, like um, is, is we've talked about where salvation is universal salvation or not um but but in terms of of um can even those in hell be redeemed uh, there's definitely ancient church fathers who who thought so and but and you have characters like hellboy who is literally a demon but but also does good so nature versus nurture that kind of stuff rebelling against the powers of darkness um so yeah ghost rider is a good good one to play with in terms of religion darkness um redemption sacrifice those those kinds of things cool all right moving on uh number seven black panther Yes. Yeah. He is from yes. a technologically advanced society that has really cool stuff, but he's also tapped into this kind of like African ancestral uh, mysticism that's a part, part of his life. So he taps into the, the God of the Panther, uh, the goddess of the Panther. And, and so um, there's this kind of mystical family tree that he's connected with his communion of saints, if you will, with his own family tree, but also in, in the other world, the spiritual world, the, the mystic uh, realm is, is a part of his life. So yeah, he's technologically advanced and super smart and is up there as the smartest people in uh, the MCU in, in Marvel earth 616. And yet he has a spirituality to him, uh, an understanding of, of something larger than himself. Yeah. When he's first introduced and, Fantastic 452, I think. Yep. We get 
a great character who is a technological genius who is seen as someone close or if not on par with Reed Richards himself at a time in comics when I have a lot of African representation um, and him just becoming something a little more than that. And then we, as we explore Wakanda and its characteristics, you would think, oh, well, uh, they're so scientifically advanced. They have no need for religion. No, it's part of their everyday life. And they combine it with uh, the worship for the Panther God and past and all this together mm-hmm. And it's tied to the Black Panther himself, as the Black Panther has been over generations because of, you know, the 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 herb, I forget the name off the top of my head, heart shape herb. Yeah. And that is tied to this mysticism and religion. If that doesn't happen, there is no Black Panther. So even though they're technologically advanced, there is still a need. There's no such thing in their life. The trope that we outgrew such silly superstitions doesn't exist because it's so tied to their culture. Nice, nice. Yeah, good bridge between faith and science, uh, mysticism, spirituality, and science is is there Wakanda and in this in this culture. So so yeah, there's more we can talk about Black Panther later on. Yeah, he was created in the late '60s and then in the '70s. There's definitely stereotypes and and things that probably aren't portrayed as great. <laughs> uh, if you look back and and read some of that, um, you know, to these these yes. white guys writing black characters, um, you know. But but I think as of late uh, into the MCU and and the current writing and portrayal. Black Panthers is pretty neat and and one of my favorite characters in the in the Marvel universe for sure. All right, uh, number eight, Shang Chi. I had to bring Shang Chi in because of Buddhism. There's this kind of understanding of, of Asian religion, uh, Buddhism. <clears throat> um, you know, he was brought into the scene with the kind of the kung fu uh, mania, Bruce Lee mania. You know, Masters of Kung Fu was his comic. The portrayal of the ancient uh, kind of Asian. People probably didn't always track as well. There's probably things that are very outdated in terms of reading that thing. But if you talk about Shang-Chi as an Asian character and his Buddhism, an understanding of Chi, understanding of Zen, and, and kind of what balances him and drives him uh, to do good, uh, I think there's some conversation that could be had there. Shang-Chi is one of those characters. It doesn't start off in the best place all the time when it comes to being written. Uh, you've got the old Gallo Pero in there, his dad being Fu Manchu. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, it was in the early 1900s, you get the idea of, oh, we're being attacked by people from Asia. We can't have that. But Shang-Chi being a heroic figure to counterbalance that works really well. Uh, so like, hey, we can have negative portrayals. We can have positive portrayals. He's a positive guy. Now, I can't remember any stories where Buddhism has affected him that much, but I also haven't read that much of what right. he's been in. But uh, when it comes to martial arts, like Buddhism was one religion that kind of gets tied in a lot with it and that you have these ideas of, hey, control your body and your spirit that come from religious practices. So it's nice to see that portrayed with him when it does show up. Yeah. Yeah. And so later on in the year, if we we start talking how Buddhism is portrayed in our fandoms, uh, uh, perhaps Shang-Chi will will pop up again. And I do like I loved his, um, you know, he was my favorite parts of the newer phases of of Marvel. I love that movie. Um, I hope he shows up again as part of a new Avengers or another team or something. Uh, I hope they can they pull him in more because I thought that movie was fantastic. Uh, and then connecting him again, the mystical arts of Doctor Strange and Wong and those kinds of things as, as a natural progression, come full circle there. 
All right, we have one honorable mission. We've gone through eight characters. Uh, we got to talk about Reed Richards and Tony Stark when it comes to their religion. And I, you know, going out of limb here, I would say their religion is uh, scientism. Uh, that whole thing about like, we're going to science our way out of this. There's nothing that science can't do uh, if I'm only going to rely on the hard, cold facts and data that science will reveal us. And surely science will fix things. Science will save all things in the end. And that's Reed Richards and Tony Stark, regardless of the fact that they've bumped up against literal gods and cosmic beings and mystical, uh, teamed up with mystical beings like uh, Dr. Strange. <laughs> uh, they're still going to lean into the science and be skeptical towards religion uh, than other things. But, you know, and, and I would just go out there and say that, like, I'm a part of a church that is a science-believing church. Uh, I have members of my church that are scientists, evolutionary biologists, and particle physicists. I love science. Uh, but there is a sense that scientism says that that's the only way you can go. If there's extremism of uh, fundamentalism in religion, there's also extremism and fundamentalism in science itself and saying that uh, this is the only way it is. This materialism is, is the only way uh, things will uh, – only aspect of reality that we can trust. And so if people of faith, uh, we'll push back against that and and say, no, no, it can be a both and they, they can work hand in hand. So in terms of Reed Richards, Tony Stark, how they've operated in the universe, the Marvel universe over the years. And now Christian, uh, uh, yeah, we got it. We got it. Scientism is a religion. Yeah. Uh, depending on the writer, Reed can be written really well or really poorly when it comes to his beliefs. Yeah. Now I've kind of always seen him as like an agnostic I don't know if he's ever like said where he stands, but when it comes to like magic and, you know, palling around with Thor and Hercules, like obviously there's something out there a little more. And he's encountered all these grand, you know, things that call themselves deities out there. And with magic, he says, hey, I, I just don't get it. I know it's a thing because I can see it in action. So I'm not going to say it's not real, but I'm more into science. I, I can understand this. I know the processes for how the mathematics work for this, for how this, you know, if I send its electrical current here, it's going to power up this machine. Yeah. And he just hasn't come to the point where like, uh, where he stands with God for the most part, outside of actually meeting God himself, the one above all for a story <laughs> where he and the fantastic three at that point in time invade heaven to bring back Ben Grimm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was in the five hundreds or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, seriously. I, looks a lot like yeah, and I, I think you have to pull that in until you have all you you have the Abrahamic uh, religions, you have mysticism, you have um, you know paganism or or uh, Buddhism, um, Islam. Uh, but I but I think you have to bring science and scientism as a part of the conversation, how things are portrayed uh, in the in the Marvel universe, and then in our fandoms as well, in terms of when we're talking about spirituality and and the material world in which we operate and learn about. So, yeah, folks, there you go. There's our cosmic beings. There's are religious superheroes of again we did not list them all there's some that we missed and we probably maybe even misrepresented uh, a few of them if that's the case let us know we are not uh um uh, bold enough to say that we know all things and that we can't be corrected. We are open to conversation and and how things can go. So let us know uh, what you think and uh, keep a lookout for more uh, episodes. We're going to do one about the DC universe, this kind of similar kind of way, and and then it's going to come up how religions are are portrayed in other fandoms, not just the the comic book world or sci fi world. There's other fandoms out there as well. So let's wrap this thing up, Christian. Christian, right. what, uh, what, what's the recommendation? Maybe perhaps something we talked about or something off, um, nothing we talked about today, but there's a recommendation out there you want to lift up to, for people to, to check out. What just released today is what I have been wanting from Spider-Man. 
ever since Brand New Day and One More Day happened. We have Ultimate Spider-Man 1 by Jonathan Hickman. Uh. This is how you handle a married Spider-Man with kids <laughs> having responsibilities that has been stolen from him in this reality due to the machinations of the maker. Mm. Like having him choose to become a superhero right now, not to spoil what happens in this, but I loved this issue. It is in Hickman we trust. That's what I say. Ultimate Spider-Man number one. That's my recommendation. Nice. That was in my pull box as well. I, I grabbed the variant cover that has um, kind of a family photo and it says Happy Holidays from the Parkers on the cover. That's the one I chose because I thought it was a hilarious cover. And and yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man, when uh, the original Ultimate Spider-Man by Bendis way back when, um, was really when I was getting back into comics. So it was really cool, fresh take and reading these stories as fresh, fresh take on Spider-Man outside of uh, Marvel 616. Uh, and so Heckman has brought back the, the Ultimate Universe and um, starts with Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And, and yes, yeah, in my pull list, I can't wait to read it either tonight or this weekend. It's definitely there at the top of my stack for sure. Uh, my recommendation would be I lifted it up in our... Um, conversation here i i would recommend reading that 1980s graphic novel god loves man kills um just because it does wrestle with kind of religion and hate groups and the in the extremism of fundamentalism and how that can be harmful to those who are different than us so is right there in uh the the title of the book god loves man kills and and yeah uh that could be a truer thing as we look at at the world uh today so so go check that one out it still holds up read it let us know what you think uh thank you guys uh thanks for everything uh listening to this long episode we hope that you were able to geek out with us and uh check us out on all the socials uh support us um Smash that like button. Uh, we're not on YouTube, but just go over to our, our YouTube channel and smash that like button. Listen to the ads. Uh, we took time to do some ads, and and I think they're fun. I like hearing my friend's voice in the ads, and, you know, listen to them. We care about you. Uh, we're looking forward to this new year, and we have a bonus question that we're going to put on Patreon. And this is the question that Christian and I are going to uh, ask and then answer and share with you. So the question is, out of these 10 religious superheroes which one would we want to go to church with or invite them to our church which one of them would we like to go to worship with or invite them to church with us so uh to find out our answer listen on patreon all right folks thanks and we'll see you next time as always share the faith share the geek our merch online at the SG shop. There you can find clothing such as hat, extra soft t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, and more things like glassware, mugs, bags, and posters. My favorite shirt design is the one that says all reading counts. So make sure you check out the store and find your new favorite merch. Hi, my name is TJ and I'm here to tell you about the Amazon Ministry Podcast Network. Uh, we have a bunch of shows on AMP. Uh, you can follow the entire network in a single feed on Spotify at Amazon Ministry Podcasts or on the network page on Apple Podcasts. Uh, some of the ones we're running right now are The Homily, which is Pastor Will's homily messages from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill. Uh, we have The Whole Church Podcast, which uh, one of my favorites. Uh, it's where myself and Joshua, uh, we interview leaders from different denominations and backgrounds to work for a full church unity, Big C. 
Uh, we have My Seminary Life by Brandon Knight, former host on Systematic Ecology. He discusses his experience at seminary and discusses seminary topics so anyone can access the knowledge, uh, which is kind of cool. It's like the book, uh, Everything You Learn in Business School and then Everything You Don't Learn at Business School. Uh, that's great. Uh, we have Let Nothing Move You by Christian Ashley. He goes through the Bible, uh, kind of like it's a Bible study, to explain the biblical narrative through his perspective and what he's learned. Uh, Dummy for Theology, which is Joshua's show, uh, he discusses various theological topics in an attempt to show every side of big discussions. Now, that leaves you with more questions than answers, which everyone loves a lot. Uh, it's kind of a continuation of a series that we did on Whole Church, but it's really good. It's really fun. Uh, we have the Bible After Hours, where the foul-mouthed preacher goes through the Bible from a progressive view to challenge the status quo of the modern church. I love that one. If you're from a more conservative uh, background, that one, I find, will probably be the most helpful for you. Definitely check that out. And we have the Clydes. Taylor and Elizabeth Clyde go through weekly discussions in a devotional, conversational method uh, to help us get closer to one another and God. Uh, that's just a little review of what we do in AMP and all of our other shows. Uh, so check that out. Get subscribed and just start getting all that free content, you know.